Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. This is a crowd podcast. There's a lot to talk about when you talk about Karen Carpenter. The songs. The voice. 90 million records sold. The family. The image. The darkness that's there. Just below the surface. Always the darkness. So let's talk about two photos, because they don't make sense. And that's the point. The first one, Karen with her big brother Richard. She's in a yellow v-neck jumper, glossy brown hair, sort of a kink to it, very mid-70s. Big smile, perfect white teeth. Those eyes that hold you, big and brown and, well, happy. That's how she looks, a happy person, a normal one. Maybe a bit geeky, not cool, but... Untroubled. Then the other photo, only nine years on. Though she could be 30 years older, she looks like she's not there. A pale, pinstriped blouse with wide shoulder pads. All angles now, no curves. The hair frizzy and thin at the same time, like it'd snap off in your fingers. Cheekbones, little brush of rouge on them, like a new bruise. So high and wide they look too big for her skull. No smile. Not anymore. Thin lips. Nowhere for a smile to go. And the eyes? They're flat. A weird blankness. They almost seem to take up her whole face. And you can't quite work out why at first. And then you realise. There's nothing else there. She's skin. And cheekbone. And eyes. That's all Karen Carpenter is now. And so the question comes at you. How does she go from that to this? What's happened to her in between? Why is she letting it? Why are other people letting her? Because it's all about what's hidden away with Karen. She sings songs that are soft and gooey and sweet like a mouthful of candy floss. But she makes them sound like loneliness too. Like someone who knows it never works out for her. Like a eulogy. She sings with her brother and she adores him. And he's probably a genius on the piano and the way he arranges songs sets the mood. But she's always second best to him. To the people she cares about most. Front of the stage, back of the mind. She looks like a girl at church. She dresses like sexes for other people. 
a brother dresses like a dad. They're kids making old people's music for people who don't like the kids. But there's drugs, and there's bitterness. There's exploitation, there's lies and jealousy, and pretending it's all fine. But most of all, it's about control over who you are and who you can see, what you sing and what you wear, who loves you, if they ever tell you. And always that darkness, like a moving shadow behind everything, like a fog that creeps in and settles on everything around. There are good things about the Carpenter family when they're young. Their street in New England, the warm summers with baseball and bugs, the frozen winters when you can skate on the pond. It's all young families working hard and kids out in the streets. The 1950s, like you've seen in films, like you imagine. Harold's a good dad too, everyone says. He's in the background, but he's funny, nice to his kids, nice to the neighbourhood kids. The mum? Okay. Agnes is different. She's the tough one. She's obsessive. She doesn't just clean her own windows, does the corners with a toothbrush. When she looks out, sees the neighbour's windows, sees they're dirty, she cleans those too. There'll come a time when the band are on tour and everyone who's not related to her calls her the Dragon Lady. Remember Nurse Ratched from One Flew Over the Cuckoo's Nest? The one Jack Nicholson battles with? The one who wins? When they make the film about Karen's life, that's who plays Agnes, the same actress. That's not accidental. And it's all about Richard for his mum. He's the blonde-haired prodigy, the boy who learns the piano just by listening. It's Richard they move across the country for, from New England's frozen winters to LA's endless summer to finding better teachers, better chances, closer to the shows and the films and the stars because you're not getting that in New England. Karen? It's her job to support him, that's what she's told. And she idolises him as they grow up. Him with his record collection in perfect alphabetical order. Controlled. He can do this weird thing where he shuts his eyes, picks up a record and tells you what song it is by the grooves in the vinyl. Genius, but peculiar too. So it's his band they form, his name on it, the Richard Carpenter Trio. Karen? She's invisible, hidden away behind the drums, no name, no spotlight. The mum does strange things too. When they're on stage as the gigs get bigger, she hangs a mirror over the piano, angled so the people in the crowd can see Richard's fingers on the keys to see what he's doing. She's furious when Karen's the first one to get offered a recording contract. Can't understand. It doesn't come to anything and that's fine with her. Control. All the time. When the deal for both of them comes, and they're the carpenters with their own logo, and they find that sweet, gooey sound, Agnes stays in charge. Money? She never had any. Couldn't afford a cake at her own wedding. Couldn't afford a honeymoon. Had a night at the pictures instead. So she holds on. 
She takes the dollars as they come in, hundreds of them, then thousands, and puts them in saving accounts in her name. She gives Richard and Karen an allowance, like their kids. They're not. She's 20, he's 24. All the time, these rules, this strangeness. America likes the Carpenters. The albums start selling, the money piles up. They get an accountant. Agnes refuses to sit at the same table, let alone speak to him. She passes him handwritten notes instead. This is what we do. This is what I want. Richard and Karen think about buying a house, not one each, but together. Next one's in? The parents. All in the same house. The parents get first choice of bedroom. Two years on, when they buy another place and say, Mum and Dad, this is for you, the parents refuse to move out. So it's Richard and Karen who go instead. Still together, of course. Does this sound normal to you? Karen likes doing embroidery. She makes her brother a picture with needles and thread. It says, there is no KC without RC. Richard starts dating Karen's hairdresser. Agnes hates it, wants him to stay in her house. She gets Karen to hang around with the hairdresser, trips to the shops, days out, so Richard sees less of her. There's times on stage when Karen and her brother are mistaken as a married couple. In photos together, they're always touching, always a closeness. Richard gets asked about it in an interview. He makes a sort of joke that stops the chat dead. He says, maybe it would have been better if we had been man and wife. One more story for you. Another shadow, another question. There'll come a time when Richard starts dating his 18-year-old cousin. She's 10 years younger than him. She was over at the house all the time as a kid. And a friend says, why not? His mum spent so long throwing daggers at anyone he meets, now he's keeping it in the family. So it's all about Richard. Until people realise it's not. Karen's good on the drums, really enjoys it, even when she always gets the same reaction. Girls don't play drums. She's 16 before she starts singing properly. She's 20 before anyone in the family gets it. She likes hiding behind the drums, just a neat fringe on show. Richard's the one with the mirror over him. But he's got no charisma. He can sing, but he sounds like the other good singers. You can't tell them apart. They're just... Fine. Their first manager knows. He hears what her voice does, how it takes you to places. It's all AM radio at this point, medium wave, cloudy and indistinct. It's music played through a duvet. And here's what the manager says to a friend about the way Karen sings. Radio could never submerge it camouflage it, confuse it with anyone else. It's odd, Karen's voice. She's not big, only five foot four. Warming up in the car, you can barely hear her. Then you get her on a mic, and it all changes. Coming right in close, lips almost on the cool metal, breathing. She's got three octaves, a big range, she can hit the high notes and hold them. It works, fine. But that's not where the magic is. 
when she drops it down, when she takes it low, it stops you. Stops everyone. A warmth, an intimacy, a connection. Because you understand exactly what she means. But a distance too, because it sounds like she's all on her own. Pouring it out just for herself, confessing it all. But no one to comfort her. No one to absolve her. When she sings like that, low and blue and alone, it works. The songs fly. She's got a joke about it when they ask her. She says, the money's in the basement. Her and Richard, they talk about the three Bs. That's their big influences. The Beatles for the melodies. The Beach Boys for the harmonies. Bert Bacharach for the arrangements, the songs. They do cover versions, follow the recipe, add more sugar, pour on the syrup, ticket to ride, slowed up and added strings, close to you, all cutiness, no sharp angles. Because here's how their big hits work. Karen doesn't write them, not the tunes, not the words. She doesn't even choose them. Richard does that. Sometimes he won't even tell her what she's singing until she gets to the studio. But when she gets there, and she sings, they become hers. There's one that starts off as a bank advert. It's a young couple getting married, driving off into the sunset. It's a song to sell loans. Actually, it's half a song. The writers only bother adding other verses because the bank want to send the record out to staff as a present. Karen's not married. Her mum hates her even going on dates. But she sings it like she's living it like she's happy and sad at the same time. We've only just begun. So many roads to choose. Celebration and uncertainty side by side. It's the same with all of them. This is meant to be easy listening. That's what the critics call it. Elevator music. There in the background. Invisible. And she turns it into something that stays with you. Melancholy, but comforting. Happy and sad at the same time. She sings about rainy days and Mondays. She sings about hanging around, nothing to do but frown, talking to herself and feeling old. The gap between those two photos, the connection, it's these songs. It's all here, if you want to hear it. That tune, the rainy days one, it's kept off number one by Carol King singing It's Too Late. More melancholy, more soft comfort. Because... Something's happening in America in the early 70s. The 60s, they were wild. Noise and anger and drugs and music you couldn't imagine even 12 months before. Festivals in the fields, riots in the streets, protests and slogans and soldiers on college campuses. Vietnam on TV every night. A war you're not losing, but you're never winning either. Revolutions and confusion and things that frighten you. JFK shot, Martin Luther King shot, Bobby Kennedy killed as he chases his brother's dream. What does America mean now? There's a lot of lost people out there. People who don't like long hair, the devil's music, the way millions are marching on Washington. They want it like it was. They want it safe. They want control. Here's how one review describes the Carpenters. Friendly people, well-mannered, 
tidily dressed, hard-working, no protest, no pawn, no blasphemy, no tripping. Even the font they use, carpenters, picked out in gold, solid, ancient. The font's almost 19th century ornate, like it's been carefully drawn in the schoolroom. When you go to see them on tour and get the official programme, the photos are all soft focus. There are trees behind them and a golden glow. Richard standing behind Karen like he's in charge. Karen out front, eyes down, polite, submissive. They get an invitation from the White House from Richard Nixon. That all makes sense. Nixon is throwback too. Promises honour in Vietnam, a crackdown on crime. Talks about subversives, about anti-American activities, about a silent majority. Always a shirt and tie and a suit. Even when he's alone at home, always buttoned up. There's a photo of the three of them, the president and the two perfect kids. Richard's got a bowl haircut, a big grin, a polo neck and a bad jacket. Typical Richard. Nixon's smart, jowly, a grin like an alligator in the swamp. Karen? Karen could be in the 1950s. She could be visiting the Eisenhower White House. Hands clasped in front of her, hair that's neat and tidy, yellow dress with no shoulder or cleavage showing, a bow around her waist. Nixon's grinning at the reporters, calculating. He says... These two are young America at its very best. Except, all this is a front. It's make-believe. Nixon hasn't told anyone yet, but he's just fired two advisers over Watergate. Give it 12 months and it'll be gone too. All lies and sort of apologies. Nixon is all grins, but he hides it inside. He says something once... I believe you should keep your troubles to yourself. Some people think it's good therapy to sit with a close friend and spill your guts to reveal their inner psyche. Not me. No way. And that's Karen too. Tell no one. Keep it all inside. Fake it for the cameras. That same year, they release an album of what people have started calling oldies. Tunes that have been around before that threaten no one. She's just turned 23 and she's singing When I was young I'd listen to the radio waiting for my favourite song. She sings about happy times and wondering where they've gone, about yesterday once more. Because that's what the lost people want to hear. It's their biggest hit. Nostalgia for a world just gone or that never existed at all. There's one interview where they say how it is. Richard says the Vietnam War should end. Karen says she doesn't care about church. Their publicist hates it. This is not who you are. Say it's all groovy, say it's all terrific. So this is Karen, in this mad loop of lies and pretending. She's doing a Greatest Hits album before she's 24. Nixon is drinking, on antidepressants, on the sleeping pills. Richard? The bowl haircut? The bad jackets? He's got an addiction of his own. When he can't sleep on tour, his mum gives him the stuff she's been prescribed for insomnia. Sedatives. Quaaludes, they're called. Here's what you need to know about ludes. They're blissy. They're a golden glow. 
They slow you down, wrap you up warm. People take them in clubs, call them disco biscuits, call them lemons, after the company that makes them. You listen to music on them and it's all the sharp angles gone. It's soft strings and harmonies. You don't care as much about the stuff you cared about before. Loud guitars, wars you can't win, dead presidents, none of them touch you. But there's always a darkness, a fog that comes in. Quaaludes hook you. It's never one, it's always more. By 1978, Richard can barely play piano. No control over those hands. His speech is slurred. He lies in bed all day, having panic attacks. You know that scene in The Wolf of Wall Street, the one where DiCaprio can't get in his car, when he tries to crawl and can't move his arms, when his brain's melting? That's the Ludes. That's Richard. That's young America at its very best. But we'll talk more about Karen after this break. This is an advertisement from BetterHelp Therapy Online. Hello, it's Tom Fordyce here. I'm one of the writers on Death of a Rockstar, and I do hope you're enjoying the series. I wanted to tell you about BetterHelp. Now, we all carry around different stresses in life, big and small. A lot of the people I wrote about for this series absolutely did. And as we know, if we keep those stresses bottled up, it can impact us negatively. That's where therapy can be great. Therapy isn't just for people who've experienced major trauma. It can help you understand the way your brain works and why you feel a particular way. If you're thinking of starting therapy, give BetterHelp a try. It's all online, designed to be convenient, flexible and suited to your schedule. All you need to do is fill out a brief questionnaire to get matched with a registered therapist. And you can switch therapists anytime for no additional charge. With over 1,000 therapists in the UK already, BetterHelp can provide access to mental health professionals with a wide variety of expertise in mental health. Rockstar listeners get 10% off their first month at betterhelp.com slash rockstarpod. That's betterhelp.com slash rockstarpod. Hello, Rockstar listeners. It is Tom here. Now, I'm one of the writers on the show and was behind quite a few of the episodes, ones like George Michael, John Lennon, Donny Hathaway and Otis Redding. I wanted to tell you quickly about DistroKid, who we've partnered with to provide Rockstar listeners with a special deal that we think you will love. Are you a musician and wondering how you can get more bang for your buck with your music? Well, get yourself on DistroKid. That's D-I-S-T-R-O-K-I-D. DistroKid is revolutionising the music business. It's the easiest way for musicians to get music onto places like Spotify, Apple, Amazon, TikTok, YouTube. Well, you name it, they can get it there. You get unlimited uploads. You'll enjoy more features than any other music distributor and you'll get to keep 100% of your earnings. Here are just some of the things that it lets you do. Okay, easily pay your collaborators with a special feature called splits. Send huge files to anyone with their InstaShare feature. Make mini videos to use on your socials. And stop sneaky thieves stealing your music and using it without your permission with their DistroLock feature. 
There's also an app where you can see your DistroKid account in one place. Check your Apple and Spotify stats and withdraw earnings. The DistroKid app is available now on iOS and Android. So head to the Apple Store or Google Play to download it. And here is the best bit. They're offering you guys a special deal. Just go to distrokid.com slash VIP slash death of a rockstar to get 30% off your first year. That's distrokid.com slash VIP slash death of a rockstar for 30% off your first year. This is death of a rockstar. So Richard Carpenter is lost and Richard doesn't notice something else that Karen is disappearing in front of his eyes. At 17, she weighs 10 stone. At 22, she's eight and a half. By the time she's 25, she's almost down to six. No one knows what anorexia is then. No one's talking about it. They say, you've lost weight, you look great. When you lose more, they say, you must be tired. As a kid, Richard used to call her fatso, she called him four eyes, standard kid stuff. When she gets older, she never likes the photos when they show her with hips, with curves. But that happens to lots of people. Here's what's happening to her as Nixon goes down and her brother stays in bed and the hits dry up. She counts calories. She pushes food around her plate rather than eating it, cuts it into tiny pieces. She tells others it's delicious and gets them to try it. Stuff you can't see. Staying at home, staying low, thinking about food all the time, feeling cold as the fat fades and the skin gets thin. Stuff you don't expect. Soft, fine hair, starting to grow on her face, on her body. Can't sleep, can't stay awake. Dry hair, dry skin, hair thinning. Body aching, period stopping, a fog creeping in and settling on everything around. Why? Why does she do it? Why is she letting all this happen? Here's the thing about anorexia. It's about food, but not really. It's about control. About being lost and powerless. Food? That's the one thing you can control. No one can make you eat. No one can say you're okay when you're disappearing in front of their eyes. It's shouting without shouting. Look what's happening to me. Look what you're doing. Everyone with control, except her. She wants to move out of the family home. She can't face asking her mother, so she gets her assistant to do it instead. And Agnes screams down the phone, You traitor. They tore and Richard wants it to sound exactly like it does on the record. He wants it to be the same every night, no riffs, no risk. Even the ad-libs are rehearsed. She records a solo album, plays it to Richard and the label bosses, expecting them to hug her after every song. Her assistant's in the room with her, says it's a den of silence, that Richard hates it, says she looks at Karen and sees her melting away like a snowman in front of their faces. So the album never comes out, and she chops up her food and pushes it around. 
She starts layering clothes to disguise how thin she is, a coat over a jumper over two T-shirts. When she steps on stage in a dress, there are gasps from the audience when they see her shoulder blades, her ribs, her hip bones. There's a review of one show in Variety, the magazine. It says, she is terribly thin, almost a wraith. The family don't understand. No one does at this point. They just think she's not eating enough. So they get it wrong. They try to make her eat. And because they're trying to control it, she eats less. She's back at her mother's place, sleeping 16 hours a day. She's in hospital for five days. She goes home. Everything's controlled there. The hangers in the wardrobe are all a quarter of an inch apart. The corners of the windows are spotless. She lies in bed making lists. 50 things that have to be done by 10am. 20 things I want in a husband. She gets married after no time at all to a man everyone warns her about. And when she tries to go to bed with him, he says, What? With that bag of bones? You can hate anorexia, hate what it does to you. You know it's madness that it's killing you. But it's you. That's what you think. This is me. And you can't get out of it. Because the alternative, eating, going out, trying something new, is worse. It's letting go. It's losing control. And so we find ourselves at the second photo. A woman in her early 30s who looks 30 years older. All angles, all skin and cheekbones and eyes. You have chronic anorexia. You're 12 times more likely to die young than someone else. You cook your food, you purge. But the really bad stuff is happening inside you. Cheekbones and eyes and hair you could snap off. But a heart out of rhythm with the beat slow like syrup and then skittery like a cymbal. Karen is taking laxatives now, 20 a day, 30 a day, hidden in a luggage, in a pillowcase, in the fruit bowl, in her shoes. She goes to New York for treatment. Richard knows now he can't miss it. The psychotherapist calls a meeting with the whole family and he says, I think Karen needs to hear that you love her. Richard is first, he says, well, of course I love you. Agnes, the mother, she can't do it. Can't say it. She says, I'm from the North. We just don't do things that way. Karen ends up back in hospital. They feed her through a tube in her arm. And when she's out, it's back to the laxatives, back to the control. 80 pills a day now, 90. She starts taking something called Ipecac, medicine for people who've accidentally eaten something poisonous. It makes you throw up, a horrible taste, stomach cramps, then vomiting. There's another thing it does too. It's designed for one-offs, for emergencies. If you keep taking it, if you're throwing up five times a day, it cripples your heart, wastes the muscles. Two little things among all that. Something Karen says to a friend, my mother is going to kill me if I haven't gained weight. Another piece of embroidery she does, this time for the psychotherapist in New York, it reads, You win, I gain. Control. That's what it always comes back to. 
And even when you're just eyes and cheekbones with skin like paper, you can't stop, you can't let go. She's 32 when she collapses for the last time. Agnes finds her upstairs, naked, on the floor of her closet, not moving, eyes rolled back. The paramedics check her heart. It's beating once every 10 seconds. That's only six times a minute. They do CPR. They've got her back in hospital within 15 minutes. No heartbeat. No breath. They spend 28 minutes trying to resuscitate her. The nurse can't stop it. A song appears in her head, a line. We've only just begun to live. So much life ahead. It's just before 10 in the morning when it's over. Agnes and Harold, they can't understand. They say to the doctor, are you sure she's gone? Can't you do anything to bring her back? Friends say, you hoped loving her was going to make everything okay. Richard, he's angry at the waste with himself, the therapists, the hospitals. And that's how the world feels too, as the news spreads. Confusion, disbelief, shock, when there should be no shock at all. What's left when you put those two photos down? The gap between them. The songs that connect them. And the voice that sits in between, happy and sad at the same time. Melancholy, but comforting. The warmth. The intimacy. Because the clues were there all along. You listen to their first ever single, the cover of Ticket to Ride. It's all syrup, all candy floss, all the Beatles jangle gone, all the hard edges, strings and soft focus. And then you hear the fade out and it's Karen singing the same line over and over again. Think I'm going to be sad. Think I'm going to be sad. The sweetest thing you ever heard. The saddest song in the world. You've been listening to Death of a Rockstar. If you've been affected by any of the issues we spoke about or are worried about someone you love, please go to crowdnetwork.co.uk forward slash helplines to find a list of people you can go to for help. This episode was written by Tom Fordyce and performed by me, Emma Clark. It was edited by Phil Brown. The music we used is from BMG Production Music. For research, we read lots of books and watched lots of films, including Only Yesterday, The Carpenter Story, The Karen Carpenter Story, Little Girl Blue by Randy Schmidt, and The Carpenters, The Untold Story by Ray Coleman. We also used the archives of Rolling Stone, The New York Times, The BBC, and Sunday Mirror. If you want to hear that voice, we'd say maybe start with Rainy Days and Mondays, Yesterday Once More for the nostalgia, and Ticket to Ride for those final lines for the fade. And if you have time for another episode, scroll down this feed and check out the one about George Michael. If you like him already, you'll love it, and if you don't, you might be surprised. We're releasing new episodes every Thursday, and our next one is about Freddie Mercury. Thanks for listening. Crowd Network.
a place where you belong. Hi, this is Chad Nicefield. And this is Justin Press. We're the host of Making Waves, the Shiprock Podcast, a part of the Sound Talent Media Podcast Network. We're inviting you to sail away with us on an epic journey in musical enlightenment. Every week, we bring you only the best artists in rock music and discuss everything from the cruise to the stage to the saga of being a professional recording artist. We'll have lots of special guests along the way, so tune in every week. Your stateroom is available every Monday morning, so welcome aboard. Hey everyone, this is Tuck from Fit for a King, an off-road minivan. Every week I bring you fun interviews alongside your favorite metalcore entertainers with my new podcast, Get Tucked. Join me every Monday with bands like Counterparts, Crystal Lake, like Moths to Flames, and many more. We play unsigned and undiscovered bands, deep dive into each artist's history, and of course provide the greatest breakdowns in current metalcore. Tune in to Get Tucked every Monday, out now through Sound Talent Media. This is Krista Makes, guitarist and vocalist for Less Than Jake, and host of Krista Makes a Podcast, a songwriting podcast where every week I'm joined by an amazing guest to break down the writing, recording, and release of one iconic song from their career. In our giant, evergreen back catalog of episodes, we've had rock legends such as Dee Snyder and Huey Lewis, punk rock favorites like Mark Hoppus, Fat Mike, and Brett Gurowitz, and up-and-coming artists of today, such as Liz Stokes of The Beths and Genesis Owusu. We've had guests from all genres and styles of music, and I guarantee that if you peruse our back catalog, you'll see several episodes that'll make you say, man, I gotta hear that. Whether you're a fan of music or a creator of music yourself, you'll take away a whole new appreciation for the songs you know and love. Chris Makes a Podcast is available for free on all the places you could possibly listen to podcasts. And new episodes come out every Monday.